If you'd like to follow along the actual Bible, uh, Acts chapter 1. We're going to get there in just a second. As always, it's an honor and privilege to be here with my friends and family and, and, and my church. I just love you guys. And um, I think this is 12 years we've been journeying together. And so I really, um, I really love you and appreciate you and honor uh, what this place stands for and, and, and the authenticity and, and the atmosphere and just everything that makes Highway Highway. It's just one of the best churches in the world. And you should be proud of that. You should be proud of that. Uh, as always, uh, afterwards, we have our resources there at the back. CDs, DVDs, USBs, direct downloads. Actually, every series now has its own individual USB as well, so you can have it in all the formats. Um, 100% of the profit we make from that, we give away to the poor and the afflicted because we live with the conviction that we're not simply called to go to heaven when we die, although we embrace that. We're called to bring heaven to every place we see hell here. And so um, that's how we do that. The only thing I would ask you tonight is um, the Sunday night culture at Highway is awesome. And what happens is, is afterwards, there's food and a lot of chatting. And I'm really, really happy about that. Here, here's the thing. If you know you're not gonna get anything, God bless you, I'll see you next time I'm through, okay? But if you know before I leave tonight, I'm gonna grab something. If you could do me a favor, if you could buy first and chat second, that would be awesome. And the reason is, is because we gotta, care, we gotta tear all that down and take it with us to, to our next place on Tuesday, Wednesday. And I'm in, a, I'm in a different place Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And so um, we gotta tear it down set it up every single time. And so I want to be kind to our volunteers back there who just give their day to, to help us do that. Um, you know, they're not paid to be here. And so um, I, I am. So I, I can be here till whenever, but they're not. And so I want to treat them how we would want to be treated um, by, um, you know, by going back there and getting what we need to uh, up front. So if you guys could do that for me, um, that would be awesome. So I, I want to share something with you tonight that um, has been has been really close to my heart, and and um, this is a, a fairly new message I've been working on, and um, it's a very pastoral message. I, I want to speak it. Um, I want to speak into this church as if it was as if it was my own church, as if I was if I was the leader here, and 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 I want to speak into culture, and I want to speak. I want to put some language around some stuff, and I want to reorient us. I want to talk about resurrection because because in two weeks' time we're going to come together at Easter, right, and and we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, and that's like the main thing. And that changed everything. The reason why it changed everything was because it was traumatic. The reason it was traumatic was because in our experience, dead people stay dead. Christianity, yeah, that was, famous. wow, right? Christianity, Christianity is built on the foundation of surprise and trauma. The idea that your tomorrow is not a repeat of yesterday. That new creation could burst forth right in the middle of this one. That you could be surprised by what God might do with your today that will change tomorrow and the rest of your life forever. That, that, it's, it's, that Christianity is not built, Christianity is the opposite of despair. Christianity is surprise or trauma. Tra trauma, is, trauma is any experience we have that turns the way we thought the world works upside down. And, and, and in some cases, we use that in a negative sense. So, so if I was to say the word trauma, we instantly think of negative things. And surely, negative things can be traumatic. Absolutely. When you experience something that you weren't ready for, that is trauma. To, to hear at 32 that you have some illness, that, could, that is traumatic. That's not how it's meant to work. If you go away on a business trip and you come back and your house is empty and your spouse is gone, that is traumatic. That is a trauma. To see somebody be a abused in some way. That is trauma. And so that's a proper use of the word. But trauma can also be positive. Trauma is any experience we have 
that changes the way we see the meaning of the world. And and in that sense, God is not that which gives us meaning. This is why if you've been frustrated um, with some church people who've said, oh, just come to God and your life will be filled with meaning. No, not really. Or just come to God, he's got all the answers. Actually, no. I think it's actually the opposite of that. If Jesus is the face of God, I don't think Jesus was what rendered meaning. I think Jesus is what enters into our world and renders all things meaningful. That's two different things. That if Jesus did anything, it was he turned the way people thought the world worked upside down. He's like, oh, you thought they were out? Actually, I'm gonna call them in. Oh, oh, a, a God that washes people's feet instead of demanding them to wash his? That is traumatic. That is not how the world is supposed to work. That is not how gods work. A God that serves instead of demanding you to serve him? That is traumatic. A God that forgives people who aren't offering sacrifice, but rather put nails in his own hands. A God that acts with peace when somebody else was coming at him with hostility. That's not how gods are supposed to act, but this God evidently acts that way. In, in, a, in that sense, Jesus was a trauma to the world. Jesus took the way they thought the world worked and he turned it upside down. And if, if I was to say, why does Highway Church exist? I would say one of the reasons Highway Churches exist is because it, it, Highway Church exists to be traumatic to be trauma, to be that experience with God that turns the way they think the world works upside down. When when somebody deserves you to retaliate and you give them peace, that is traumatic. When when someone can do nothing in return for you and you show it with food and medicine and clothing and ambulance and dental care in an Indian village, that is traumatic. The way the world's supposed to work is if I can pay for that, you give me a service. But when a group of people co up, sh- show up and act in love and they bring, they bring love and meaning and hope and compassion to a group of people who do nothing to earn it and nothing to deserve it and can do nothing to pay us back, that in that sense, that is traumatic. For, for Jesus to forgive the people at the foot of the cross, not because of what they were doing, they were throwing dice for his clothes because Jesus forgives us because of the cross, not because of what we're doing at the foot of it. Everything Jesus did was traumatic. It took what people thought was meaning and it rendered it meaningful. It's not something that gives all the answers. It's experiences that renders our life meaningful. It's sort of like love that way. Love does not have meaning. Like try to define the meaning of love, right? Please. Love does not have meaning. Love is what renders all things meaningful, which is why you can have nothing, but if you have love in your life, you can't help but experience your world as meaningful. But if you have everything and you have not love, you can't help but experience your world as meaningless. In that sense, God is not the band-aid of meaning that we put over our trauma. God is the trauma. And we are called to be the trauma to our world, to treat people not as they deserve, but as they're worth. To, to, to meet people's needs regardless of their need, of their ability to pay us back. To honor resurrection, new starts, fresh chances, mulligans, clean slates. You never know what tomorrow. The world does not work how you have envisioned it because resurrection has entered into our life. Resurrection is here. This is, a, and, and the question is, is what are we gonna do about it? And so all the way in Acts chapter one, which was days and days and days and days and days after resurrection. See, when something happens so traumatic as resurrection, a dead person, you saw him live, you saw him die, and you saw him walk around again. That is traumatic. And then it describes, it's interesting, the Hebrew word for resurrection and the Hebrew word for surprise share the same root word. Right, and that makes sense, right? Because if I die today, and you come to my funeral Wednesday, and I show up here next Sunday, surprise sort of cuts it, right? 
And then they start stating things like, oh, there was this one time he just sort of walked through a wall. Traumatic, right? Oh, there's another time he walked on the water out to them. Traumatic, right? Oh, even though he walked through a wall, he sat down and ate a piece of fish and it didn't fall through. (laughs) How is this working? Traumatic. The entire story is about the world not working exactly how you think it is. So no matter when it appears there's no hope, there's always hope because the world doesn't work in a closed system like we think. We live in a world with open, infinite possibilities. Now by Acts chapter 1, what we find out is the disciples are still confused as to what resurrection means. Because when something happens that is that traumatic, that surprising, it leads to infinite discussions on what do we do with that? A guy lived, died, and rose again. Well, now what? What do we do with that? Because the power of resurrection is not in proving it literally happened, although we embrace that. The power of resurrection is found in the infinite exploration of what does that mean? What does that mean? For, how do we live now? How does this change the way we think about things? And we get to Acts chapter one, and it just keeps getting more traumatic. Watch what happens. So when they had come together, they asked him. Now, they, they, they've worked out, okay, you're real, you rose, What now? And here was their initial thought on what now. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? (laughs) Now, I find this fascinating. Jesus died and rose from the dead, comes back from the dead, talks nothing about heaven and nothing about hell. I find that unbelievable. What I find more unbelievable is no one asked him. They weren't interested in the afterlife. Like, we're enamored with it. If I died today, you came to my funeral on Wednesday, come here next Sunday, we had a QA. and a Every question would be about, tell us what happened after you die. Not in Jesus' day. Jesus dies, comes back from the dead. No talk about heaven, no talk about hell, and no questions about it. He comes back from the dead and no one was like, ah, what was heaven like? What was hell like? We heard you preach there. How'd your altar call go? Did you clean out hell, you rascal, you? You know, when you rose from the dead, tombs everywhere emptied. Can you explain that to us? Can you help us intellectually get our head around this? All this trauma. Graves, you know, can you imagine standing in front of a cemetery and the dead bodies get up and walk out? (laughs) Trauma, right? (laughs) All of this stuff that they could have asked him about. Nope, here's what they say. Oh great, you're back. Are we gonna take over Rome now? Is it now that you're gonna restore the kingdom to the earth? And watch what Jesus says. And he says to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father's fixed by his own authority. In other words, none of your business. Right? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is changing everything. See, in their world, here's what they believed. That the Spirit of God only existed in the temple. Maybe on certain people at special times. So certain people, certain places, certain special times, and only then and only there. Jesus shows up and goes, okay, now that resurrections happen, let me tell you one of the implications, that the same spirit that was in the temple is everywhere, and it's gonna start with you. This is scary. Like, this should be obvious. This was not written when they experienced it, right? They didn't, have, they didn't have a whole group of people that they could go to and say, hey, tell us what happened to you when you got baptized in the Holy Spirit. What did it feel like? Was it scary? Did you lose consciousness? Did you lose control? What's going on? Was it this fire feeling? Did you have a burning sensation? No, nobody. This was a brand, listen, when you are a part of a group of people that are fixing to experience a brand new experience, that is not exactly comforting. That is actually terrifying. You, what, what God, Jesus is fundamentally shifting in their thought, where does God live? 
Oh, you thought he lived in the temple? No. Buildings? What? No. No, a building can't contain God. God's going to be in you and you and you and you and you. A later writer said, don't you know that we're all the temple of the living God? This was a massive traumatic experience. Can, can you imagine going to a world that had never heard that? Never, never. Every God in the whole world in the Roman Empire had their temple. And could you imagine going into Corinth or Galatia or Philippi or someplace like that? And you walk up and, you, and there's, the, there's the temple to Mithra. There's Addis. There's Adonis. There's Horus. There's Diomitian. There's the Amun-Ra. There's the goat god Pan. There's Serapis. There's Eclepius. There's all these, right? There's all these gods with all their temples, right? And, and, and you're like telling them about Jesus. And people get interested. And they're like, really? Where's your god's temple? And you're like, you're looking at him. <laughs> right? All this right here. Absolutely. This is the temple, right? Well, how does your God act in the world? You're looking at him. Well, what does your God expect? Nothing, right? This would have been, if people actually believed this, this would have been called good news, right? He says, so Jesus is fundamentally shifting. Where does God live? And he's, and he's going, oh, no, no, special people, special places, special times. Nah, nah. God is an everyday, ordinary, normal people. This is in Acts 1. By Acts 4, this has, count, this, had, this has taken off so much. By Acts 4, this is what it says. That they were astounded that normal, everyday people were being used by God. But since they saw them healed, they couldn't argue with it. Right? Right? This was a new thought. Now watch what happens. But you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now watch what happens. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. Trauma. This is not how it's supposed to go, right? Like this is unreal. He was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. The story is so filled. If you ever thought, man, the Bible's just rote and boring, you have never had somebody really good explain it to you, okay? This, there is nothing, there's literally, whatever you think about it, there's nothing boring about this. Dead people walking around. This story is filled with surprise and trauma and hope and unpredictability and you never know what God might do with your tomorrow. So he's taken up out of their sight and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, as you would, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Right, and I can imagine their response like, bro, did y'all just get her? You didn't see that, right, right? The, 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 the two men in white are going, hey, why are you staring at the sky? And I can imagine their response being, um, because our guy just disappeared into it, right, right? Like, what are you doing? Why are you staring at the sky? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Now, that's what happened. So it's one thing to understand what happened. It's another thing to understand what's happening in us now and what do we do with this? What does this mean? All right, a couple of observations about this. Next slide, one. In the first century, the average lifespan was like 32. Here's how it worked. You were married at 13, you had a trade by 15, and then you lived life, right? So here's what was happening. So in this scene, a bunch of young adults are staring at the sky because they can't make sense of the trouble. Here's what they've been told. 
You've been told your whole life that God only exists in temples, with priests, with certain prophets, special elitist people. No longer is that gonna be the case. That the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that's in that temple is gonna infill you and you will be my witnesses all over the world. The response would have to be, are you serious? Is that how God works? This is turning what we think meaning is upside down. For, for this normal group of Galilean teenagers who likely couldn't even read, okay? Likely, it was 97% illiteracy in Galilee, right? 3% of people could read, maybe, maybe. This group of people likely couldn't even read and they're gonna be used by God in the same way the Spirit of God was in the temple. This was unbelievable and they're such in shock because there's all kinds of things going on to confirm this. Dead people walking, dead people talking, people going up into the sky, lots of traumatic experiences doing this, and they're having trouble getting their head around this, as you would, and they find themselves staring at the sky. And then these guys show up and say, why are you staring at the sky? Well, that is quick, that is quick, and watch what happens. So this story, next slide, this story starts in Jerusalem with people waiting on an ambiguous gift. What's it gonna be like to have the Holy Spirit? What's that gonna feel like? We've never heard of this before. God's presence was only in one building at one place at one time, and now you're saying it's gonna be in all of us. What does that even be? What does that look like? Is this an implication of resurrection? They're waiting on an ambiguous gift. I would also say that speculation about the end of the world is not interesting to Jesus. They're like, hey, is the, is the world gonna end now? He's like, how boring is that? <laughs> that's not, and, and I think that's a good prophetic word for the entire Western church. Jesus, nor the world, is interested in speculation about the end of it, right Hey, let me, let me prophesy to you, ready? I can feel it, oh yeah, oh, mm, mm. At some point, there's gonna be another blood moon. It's actually an astronomical phenomenon that's gonna happen regularly based on the position of the earth, the sun, and the moon. It doesn't mean anything right? And there's never going to be a shortage of people making money on why the world is ending. And what, what I find amazing is, is a group of people who are normally vehemently opposed to astrology are suddenly okay with predicting doom because of signs in the sky. And then you know what happens? They write books, they make millions of dollars predicting the doom on fear, and then nothing happens. And then do they give the people their money back? No. Why? It's boring. Right, wrong, or indifferent, it's boring. And it's not what Jesus is on about. End of the world stuff? What? No, boring. That's boring, it's not interesting to Jesus. What is interesting to Jesus, next slide, is the giving and receiving of spirit. Evidently, that's very interesting. What's very interesting to Jesus is getting a group of young teenagers to believe that the same spirit that was present in the temple is now available to them. That was interesting. That's interesting. And as a result of resurrection, that same spirit is in all of us. The question is, what do we do with it? This was supposed to come with power to change the world forever. And here's what happens. They are waiting on this power, right? And they find themselves staring at the sky instead of getting on with what Jesus had called them to do. Which leads me to this. Are we a group of people who've been caught in the same temptation? Are we, is our Christianity simply staring at the sky when actually Jesus has called us to be about what he's called us to do on the earth, right? Right, are we about that? And listen, I am positive I speak for the leadership of Highway Church when I say this. Highway Church exists to create meaningful experiences with God, right? 
We exist to create meaningful experiences with God. But this always should translate to that. Right? If all of our Christianity is, can I get to the next meeting and stare at the sky and wait for God to do something for me? I'm just going to stare at the sky and I'm going to seek God. I'm going to stare at the sky and I'm going to seek God. And here's the problem with that, right? Here's the problem. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with seeking God. And actually, sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes it's necessary to put the white noise of the week aside and come and have a meaningful worship experience and really feel that atmosphere of faith in the presence of God. That is necessary. Sometimes it's necessary to study our Bibles together. Sometimes it's necessary to do that. But all of that, although that is good, this has to somehow translate to that or it's missing something or else we're just finding ourselves staring at the sky. And I think those same messengers would say the same thing to us as they're saying to them, why are you staring at the sky? What are you doing? You're just sitting around waiting for God. See, I think sometimes Christianity becomes so focused about how can I touch heaven? I just want to touch heaven. I want to touch heaven. I want to touch heaven. What we find in scripture is that God, we're trying to go up and God's trying to come down, right? So God's trying to touch earth. He's trying to touch earth. He's trying to touch earth. And we're trying to touch heaven. And I'm, I'm afraid we're going to cross in the middle one day, right? We're going to miss each other. Because here's the thing. It's not about touching heaven. It's about having meaningful experiences with God to a point that empowers us to change change the world around us. Otherwise, our Christianity is just staring at the sky. If I don't want to leave you with one question tonight, it's this. It's, are you just simply staring at the sky? Like, like that moment in worship we just had? Awesome. Good. Necessary. Meaningful. But whatever you felt in that worship, this had better translate to that, or it's simply staring at the sky. Right? Your small group or your discipleship groups that, you, that, you, that you, you studied the Bible with, awesome. I hope you get the most out of it. Meaningful. Highway Church exists to create meaningful experiences with God that empower the people who experience it to take the action out there. The action is out there. It's in our world. It's in our community. It's in the earth. It's in India. It's in reaching thousands. It's in bringing medical care to people. It's in ministering to the poor. It's in feeding people that can't do anything in return for us. It's in showing compassion to people who don't deserve it, but we affirm their worth, not because they deserve it, but because of their worth, that this has to translate to that. See, Jesus is doing so many traumatic things here. He's, first of all, he's changing the imagery about where God lived. And then he, then he does something subtle. Like this, you could just read right over it if you didn't understand their culture. You could just read right over this. He, he says, oh, okay, it's gonna start in Jerusalem, then Judea, oh, then Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. Now, you understand, these are, these are Orthodox Galilean Jews, Right? So, so for, them to, for, for Jesus to go, oh, this thing's going to be good for Jerusalem? Oh, yeah, amen. You mean people like us? Awesome. Oh, and Judea? Awesome. Bit far, but awesome, right? Oh, and then Samaria. Whoa, what? Say again? Samaria. What? The Samaritans? Yep. The, what? Samaria. Yep. Yep. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. You understand, in that culture, these people would would walk miles out of their way to avoid each other. A Jew going from, north, from south to north would walk miles out of his way just to not have to look at a Samaritan. Now, I want you to think about that. We get irritated if we have to drive out of our way to avoid something, right? Like if you're on your way, if you're on your way back north tonight and the chances that there's gonna be roadworks is incredibly high. <laughs> it's high. It's gonna be incredibly high. 
And if you're in the Sunshine Coast coming down this way, it's like they'll never finish that road, right? <clears throat> and here's the thing, one night I, got, I knew it was coming. I was coming from my friend Ashley Good's church. I knew it was coming. I was like, we're gonna be, this is, this is gonna be 25 Ks of sitting still. I cannot cope. I cannot cope one more second with this, right? And so I drove miles out of my way to just go through the city and come home that way because at least that way I kept moving, right? Right? And the whole time I'm sort of grumbling, like it was, which is weird. I'm in a motor car on a paved road driving, to, uh, driving in, in a country that's secure and safe and has money and clean water and food. I'm still complaining about traffic. Anyway, weird. But... <laughs> But coming through the city, we complain when we drive miles out of our way. They walked miles out of their way not to have to see each other. Jesus is like, this resurrection power, this is so powerful, it's actually gonna cut across racial divides. Jew, Greek, doesn't matter. Slave, free, what? Not male, female, no. Come on, no, 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 no. This is gonna cut across the whole thing. It's, it's gonna bring together Israel and Palestine. It's gonna bring together Bernie and the Tea Party, right, right? Or, okay, that didn't land. Okay, Maroons and Blues, right, right? It's gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna bring this together. Like, like this, this spirit of the risen Christ is gonna cut across all of this. Let, let's say it this way. Jesus is saying that the gospel can't be contained to Jerusalem. Can't, you, it can't be contained to just people like us. You can't do it. It, it. it actually, this is so revolutionary. It takes away all us and them thinking. Like us and them thinking is the cause of lots of disasters. The whole Christchurch shooting disaster thing, that was caused by some us and them thinking, right? There's no us and them thinking. If, if, if the world, if there's only one God and that God is holding the whole thing together, then there is no us in them. There is no, like that same spirit that's holding me together is holding them together. And whether they can name it or not, it's still that same God holding us all together. And we should treat each other with love and compassion and kindness and dignity and, 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 and love. And, and, and we, we, should, we should never see it as, oh, I'm more of a, what? No, 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 this is what Jesus died for. It's, let's say it this way. All of us hold our tribal identity close. And we should, right? That's okay. Like, I'm American, right? Sort of. I've, I've been living here for 16 years. So, and so I'm sort of also, like, you accept me, right? Right? Like, so, so, so I'm an American that's accepted by the Aussies, right? And in America, I even throw in a little Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, good. So we hold our tribal identity close, and we should. It's a good thing. Unless holding our tribal identity close violates something bigger about humanity, right? Right, like, like, like if, let me illustrate this with sort of a silly illustration. I, any Maroons fans in the room? Yeah. Right, right, right? I, any Blues in the room? Right, right? That was interesting. The Maroons were like, hee-hee! The Blues were like, right? So here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. I've learned this. 16 years, I finally figured it out. In May, they have this thing called the state of origin, right? Right? Have you heard of this? Big deal, right? Here's the thing. You're, right? So let's say it's state of origin week, right? It's the Wednesday night match. Oh, yeah. And you're, you're in full-on Maroon supporter. You've, got, you've actually went so far. You've got the jersey, man. And, and you go by the Hyperdome to go by, to go by Boost Juice. Right, And in line at Boost Juice is a blues supporter and he's wearing his blues thing. And they do the whole smoothie thing, but the blender didn't fully blend the date up. And it gets stuck in the, in the straw and this blues supporter thinks, I can succeed in sucking this thing through the straw. And instead of blowing it back and getting a new straw, he just, and then in one motion that date goes into the back of his throat. 
and he's choking, right? This guy can't breathe. And so the manager at Boost Juice goes, my God, help him, he's choking. And you're there and you're like, I would, but he's a blues, I can't. I can't do that, can't do, not today, not today, blues, right? Here's the thing, right? We should hold our tribal identity as a Maroon supporter close unless it violates something about greater humanity. And our tribal identity is now violating something that is bigger and it's cutting across what God is trying to do with the whole entire world. One writer called it the end of hostility, which is something I've spoke on here, here before. See, this has application to it. What do we do with this? I, I think first, it has an application on identity. That there's an application around identity, that our fundamental identity is in Christ. Our past, our mistakes, our prestige, our tribal identity, our family, our color of skin. Like, like evidently, Jesus is insisting upon something that our identity in Christ cuts across American or Australian or black or white or Terra Strait Islander or Asian or, 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 or background. Evidently, evidently cuts across gender, male, female. Evidently cuts across social economic status, slave, free, Evidently, evidently, this has massive implication around identity, that we should hold our tribal identity close, but we should hold humanity closer, that our tribal identity is important unless it's cutting across something else bigger and more profound that God is up to in our world. Evidently, it also has, next slide, it has an application around belonging, that we are no longer simply individuals. We belong to a larger idea. We are joined to a community called the human race that is being transformed. Why else would you help in an Indian village that cannot do anything to pay you back? Why else would you do that unless you're fully affirming that the same spirit of God that's in me is the same spirit of God holding you together and we are going to affirm that. How are we gonna do that? We're gonna be the trauma. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. You can never pay us back, but we are not gonna treat you as you deserve. We're gonna honor how you're worth and we're gonna meet your needs whether you can do anything in return or not. And in that, we are being the kind of trauma that resurrection brings to our world. There is an identity. There's a belonging evidently. There's also mission. And here's the thing. Identity and belonging without mission is country club stuff. Yeah, 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 we have our tribal identity. We belong, right? But if this group of tribal identity and belonging doesn't, in other words, if this does not translate to that, what is going on? Like even, here's the thing, even if it's good, that worship was not good. It was outstanding, world-class. I preach all over the world. There is no shortage of shocking music, okay? <laughs> Trust me, the amount of times I've been sitting on the front row going, my God, please give me the mic, okay? <laughs> Believe me, okay? Not here. You know, I could just, I could just sit and experience that. It was, it was not good, it was world-class. And here's the problem, there's nothing wrong with experiencing it. But if this doesn't translate to that, then we're simply staring at the sky. And God has called us to something far more profound with that, to have a meaningful experience with God where this translates to that. Mission. See, mission without identity and belonging is baseless energy. Eventually it runs out of something. You need both. You need identity, belonging, and mission to work together to create a meaningful existence that is the trauma to our world, that turns what people think the world is upside down in a positive, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness way. See, here's what's happening here, next slide. They've been given all they need. 
Everything's been given to them. They don't need anything more. But they're still in Jerusalem and they're still staring at the sky instead of doing what they were charged to do. Here's my question is, are we still just staring at the sky? Because see, anybody, next slide, anybody anywhere at any time can witness to the saving grace of Jesus. And sometimes we are great witnesses with our words. Sometimes it's a word of encouragement. It's, it's a teaching. It's having the right word at the right moment at the right time. But you might be thinking, I can't witness to Jesus. And, and what we mean by that is, I can't walk up to somebody at the Hyperdome and share my faith. That's, and I get that. And actually, if you're not good at it, you probably shouldn't do it, right? You could do more harm than good trying to explain things with words when we don't know how to explain it, right? But sometimes we're witnesses with our words, but sometimes we're witnesses with our actions. We just show it with medicine, with food. Hey, there's a, there's a single mom that's doing it hard and we're, we're gonna buy her a month's worth of groceries to get her ahead of things. Well, sometimes it's words. Sometimes actions speak louder than words. We don't need it. We, we become, see, see, when you walk away from a village where you give medicine and they can't pay you back, they're gonna tell that story and they're gonna go, God provided for me. Even if they can't name it, God is the name we give to those experiences that don't fit how the world is supposed to work. And they start doing it that way. See, sometimes we're witnesses with our presence. Sometimes words aren't gonna be good. Like the last thing you need to do if someone's suffering with horrendous illness is try to come up with a reason why they're suffering. Because to intellectualize suffering cheapens the sufferer and the suffering. Suffering is not meant to be intellectualized. Sometimes we don't need to be witnesses with our words or with our actions. Sometimes we just need to be witnesses with our presence. Like, hey, I can't do anything to make this better, but I can do this. I can be present with you so you know you're not alone when you're going through it. No way, no way. See, we can't limit this thing. This thing is absolutely bigger than any of us thought. Now, great messages are not meant to be agreed with nor disagreed with. They're meant to be wrestled with. So let's wrestle a little bit. Next slide. Is there any of us that need to hear the good news of our identity in spite of our mistakes? Evidently, this, this, this gift of the Spirit moves past whatever failure or tribal identity or anything we've ever thought we were. Evidently, evidently, Mike. My Christ in me-ness, if I could make up a word there, my in Christness, that's a better word. My in Christness actually trumps whatever I've done or wherever I came from or whatever the color of my skin is. Actually, I'm in Christ before I'm an American, and you're in Christ before you're an Australian. So there can't be hostility between us. Can't. It's all one in Christ. It can't do that. Let's say it this way: Do we need to hear the announcement of new creation? Is there any place that we've bought into the lie that my tomorrow is simply a repeat of yesterday? That is not the case. Despair has no place in Christianity because Christianity is built upon the foundation of trauma and surprise. You never know what God might do to your today that changes your tomorrow forever. Let's say it this way. Do we need to accept a Judean or Samaritan? Is there anybody in our world that's a bit on the margins, you know? And we're not sure, can they belong? What about them? What about that? This gospel is about one Christ holding the whole world together. And in that sense, God is the ground of being. He is the source of everything breathing air. Yes, even them. And in that, we are one. A one new, Paul called it a one new shared humanity. And therefore, we end the hostility. Let's say it this way. Where is the gospel bigger than we thought? Maybe it does cut across Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female, temples, priests, prophets. Maybe this gospel is for the normal, ordinary, everyday, illiterate Galilean fishermen. Maybe it's that. Let's say it this way. In what ways are we simply staring at the sky? But the power's already in us. 
Highway exists to create meaningful experiences with God. And they do it as good as anybody on earth. But I can tell you this, my brothers and sisters of Highway, this has to translate to that because the action is out there. Let's say it one more way. Where do we need to show the power we've been given for something bigger than simply staring at the sky? Jesus didn't say, I'm gonna give you an incredible experience with the divine and then just keep coming back over and over and over again and do that till you go to heaven one day. That would be boring. No, no, no. In Jesus's world, this translates to that every single time. So where, my brothers and sisters, can you give your life? Maybe you're a gifted musician. Maybe you're gifted with media. Maybe you're gifted with children, with teenagers. Maybe you're gifted with friendliness. Maybe you're gifted with hospitality and food cooking and preparation. Maybe you're gifted with landscaping and maintenance and you're gifted with your hands. Maybe, maybe you're gifted with a finance uh, gift. Maybe you're a business person. Hey, you know what I noticed today? I went down to Gilliston today and you know what? God has blessed this church with one of the most incredible facilities I've ever seen for $1.5 million. Let's get on board with that. Are you kidding me? This is huge stuff. This is a huge opportunity down there. Maybe we can go. Maybe we can sow. Maybe we can give. Maybe we can do something outside of ourselves instead of just simply staring at the sky. My prophetic word to you tonight is this, is are you simply staring at the sky? And if you are, I would say keep doing that. Keep having meaningful experiences with God, but take it one step forward that the action is out there. May this place be the trauma to our world, to be the experience that they will give the name God to. Until I see you next time, everybody. Grace and peace. God bless.